Book One, Chapter One of Bradford's History of the Plymouth Settlement, sixteen o eight to sixteen fifty. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by David Leeson. Bradford's History of the Plymouth Settlement by William Bradford. Rendered into modern English by Harold Paget. Book One, Chapter One. Book One. 1608-1620. First I will unfold the causes that led to the foundation of the new Plymouth settlement, and the motives of those concerned in it. In order that I may give an accurate account of the project, I must begin at the very root and rise of it, and this I shall endeavor to do in a plain style, and with singular regard to the truth, at least as near as my slender judgment can attain to it. As is well known, ever since the breaking out of the light of the gospel in England, which was the first country to be thus enlightened, after the gross darkness of popery had overspread the Christian world, Satan has maintained various wars against the saints, from time to time, in different ways, sometimes by bloody death and cruel torment, at other times by imprisonment, banishment, and other wrongs as if loath that his kingdom should be overcome, the truth prevail, and the church of God revert to their ancient purity, and recover their primitive order, liberty, and beauty. But when he could not stifle by these means the main truths of the gospel, which began to take rooting in many places, watered by the blood of martyrs and blessed from heaven with a gracious increase, he reverted to his ancient stratagems used of old against the first Christians. For when in those days the bloody and barbarous persecutions of the heathen emperors could not stop and subvert the course of the gospel, which speedily overspread the then best-known parts of the world, he began to sow errors, heresies, and discord among the clergy themselves, working upon the pride and ambition and other frailties to which all mortals, and even the saints themselves in some measure, are subject woeful effects followed not only were there bitter contentions heart-burnings and schisms but satan took advantage of them to foist in a number of vile ceremonies with many vain canons and decrees which have been snares to many poor and peaceable souls to this day so in the early days christians suffered as much from internal dissension as from persecution by the heathen and their emperors true and orthodox christians being oppressed by the arians and their heretical accomplices socrates bears witness to this in his second book his words are these indeed the violence was no less than that practised of old towards the christians when they were compelled to sacrifice to idols for many endured various kinds of torment, often racking and dismemberment of their joints, confiscation of their goods, or banishment from their native soil. Satan has seemed to follow a like method in these later times, ever since the truth began to spring and spread after the great defection of that man of sin, the papal Antichrist. Passing by the infinite examples throughout the world as well as in our country, when that old serpent found that he could not prevail by fiery flames and the other cruel torments which he had put in use everywhere in the days of Queen Mary and before, he then went more closely to work, not merely to oppress but to ruin and destroy the kingdom of Christ by more secret and subtle means, and by kindling flames of contention and sowing seeds of strife and bitter enmity amongst the reformed clergy and laity themselves. Mr. Fox records that besides those worthy martyrs and confessors who were burned and otherwise tormented in Queen Mary's days, as many as eight hundred students and others fled out of England. 
and formed separate congregations at Wessel, Frankfurt, Basel, Emden, Marburg, Strasbourg, Geneva, etc. Amongst these bodies of Protestant reformers, especially amongst those at Frankfurt, arose a bitter war of contention and persecution about the ceremonies and the service book, and other such popish and anti-Christian stuff, the plague of England to this day. Such practices are like the high places in Israel, which the prophets cried out against, and the better part of the reformers sought to root them out and utterly abandon them, according to the purity of the gospel, while the other part, under veiled pretenses, sought as stiffly to maintain and defend them for their own advancement. This appears in the account of these contentions published in 1575, a book that deserves to be better known. The one party of reformers endeavored to establish the right worship of God and the discipline of Christ in the church according to the simplicity of the gospel and without the mixture of men's inventions, and to be ruled by the laws of God's word dispensed by such officers as pastors, teachers, elders, etc., according to the scriptures. The other party, the Episcopal, under many pretenses, endeavored to maintain the Episcopal dignity after the Popish manner, with all its courts, canons, and ceremonies, its livings, revenues, subordinate officers, and other means of upholding their anti-Christian greatness, and of enabling them with lordly and tyrannous power to persecute the poor servants of God. The fight was so bitter that neither the honor of God, the persecution to which both parties were subjected, nor the mediation of Mr. Calvin and other worthies could prevail with the Episcopal party. They proceeded by all means to disturb the peace of this poor persecuted church of dissenters, even so far as to accuse, very unjustly and ungodly, yet prelate-like, some of its chief members with rebellion and high treason against the emperor and other such crimes." And this contention did not die with Queen Mary, nor was it left beyond the seas. At her death the Episcopal party of the Protestants returned to England under gracious Queen Elizabeth, many of them being preferred to bishoprics and other promotions, according to their aims and desires, with the result that their inveterate hatred towards the holy discipline of Christ in his church, represented by the dissenting part, has continued to this day. Furthermore, for fear it should ultimately prevail, all kinds of devices were used to keep it out, incensing the queen and state against it as a danger to the commonwealth, arguing that it was most needful that the fundamental points of religion should be preached in these ignorant and superstitious times, and that in order to win the weak and ignorant it was necessary to retain various harmless ceremonies, and that though reforms were desirable, this was not the time for them. Many such excuses were put forward to silence the more godly, and to induce them to yield to one ceremony after another, and one corruption after another. By these wiles some were beguiled and others corrupted, till at length they began to persecute all the zealous reformers in the land, unless they would submit to their ceremonies, and become slaves to them and their popish trash, which has no ground in the word of God, but is a relic of that man of sin." and the more the light of the gospel grew, the more they urged subjection to these corruptions, so that, notwithstanding all their former pretenses, those whose eyes God had not justly blinded easily saw their purpose. In order the more to cast contempt upon the sincere servants of God, they opprobriously gave them the name of Puritans, which it is said the Novations assumed out of pride. 
it is lamentable to see the effects which have followed religion has been disgraced the godly grieved afflicted persecuted and many exiled while others have lost their lives in prisons and other ways on the other hand sin has been countenanced ignorance profanity and atheism have increased and the papists have been encouraged to hope again for a day this made that holy man mr perkins cry out in his exhortation to repentance upon zephaniah too religion said he has been amongst us these thirty-five years but the more it is disseminated the more it is condemned by many thus not profanity or wickedness but religion itself is a byword a mocking stock and a matter of reproach so that in england at this day the man or woman who begins to profess religion and to serve god must resolve within himself to sustain mocks and injuries as though he lived among the enemies of religion common experience has confirmed this and made it only too apparent note written by the author at a later date than the passage to which it refers little did i think that the downfall of the bishops with their courts canons and ceremonies had been so near when first i began these scribbled writings which was about the year sixteen thirty and continued as leisure permitted or that i should have lived to see and hear it but it is the lord's doing and ought to be marvellous in our eyes do you not now see the fruit of your labors o all ye servants of the lord that have suffered for his truth and have been faithful witnesses of it and ye little handful among the rest the least among the thousands of israel you have not only had a seed time but many of you have seen the joyful harvest should you not rejoice then yea and again rejoice and say hallelujah salvation and glory and honor and power be to the lord our god for true and righteous are his judgments revelation nineteen one and two the tyrannous bishops are rejected their courts dissolved their canons forceless their service cashiered their ceremonies useless and despised their plots for popery are prevented all their superstitions discarded and returned to rome whence they came and the monuments of idolatry rooted out of the land their proud and profane supporters and cruel defenders the bloody papists and wicked atheists and their malignant consorts are marvellously overthrown and are not these great things who can deny it but who has done it who even he that sitteth on the white horse who is called faithful and true and judgeth and fightest righteously revelation nineteen eleven whose garments are dipped in blood and his name was called the word of god for he shall rule with a rod of iron for it is he that treadeth the winepress of the fierceness and wrath of god almighty and he hath a name upon his garment and upon his thigh a name written the king of kings and lord of lords anno domini sixteen forty six hallelujah end of note but to come to the subject of this narrative when by the zeal of some godly preachers and god's blessing on their labors many in the north of england and other parts become enlightened by the word of god and had their ignorance and sins discovered to them and began by his grace to reform their lives and pay heed to their ways the work of god was no sooner manifest in them than they were scorned by the profane multitude and their ministers were compelled to subscribe or be silent and the poor people were persecuted with apparators and pursuants and the commissary courts nevertheless they bore it all for several years in patience until by the increase of their troubles they began to see further into things by the light of the word of god 
They realized not only that these base ceremonies were unlawful, but also that the tyrannous power of the prelates ought not to be submitted to, since it was contrary to the freedom of the gospel, and would burden men's consciences and thus profane the worship of God. On this subject a famous author thus writes in his Dutch commentaries, At the coming of King James into England, the new king found established there the reformed religion of Edward VI, but retaining the spiritual office of the bishops, differing in this from the reformed churches in Scotland, France, the Netherlands, Emden, Geneva, etc., whose reformation is shaped much nearer to the first Christian churches of the apostles' times. Those reformers who saw the evil of these things, and whose hearts the Lord had touched with heavenly zeal for his truth, shook off this yoke of anti-Christian bondage, and as the Lord's free people joined themselves together by covenant as a church, in the fellowship of the gospel to walk in all his ways, made known, or to be made known to them, according to their best endeavors, whatever it should cost them, the Lord assisting them. And that it cost them something, the ensuing history will declare. These people became two distinct bodies or churches and congregated separately, for they came from various towns and villages about the borders of Nottinghamshire, Lincolnshire, and Yorkshire. One of these churches was led by Mr. John Smith, a man of able gifts and a good preacher, who was afterwards made pastor, but later, falling into some errors in the low countries, most of its adherents buried themselves and their names. To the other church, which is the subject of this discourse, belonged besides other worthy men, Mr. Richard Clifton, a grave and reverend preacher, who by his pains and diligence had done much good, and under God had been the means of the conversion of many. Also that famous and worthy man, Mr. John Robinson, who was afterwards their pastor for many years, till the Lord took him away. Also Mr. William Brewster, a reverend man, who was afterwards chosen an elder of the church, and lived with them till old age. But after the events referred to above, they were not long permitted to remain in peace. They were hunted and persecuted on every side, until their former afflictions were but as flea-bitings in comparison. Some were clapped into prison, others had their houses watched night and day, and escaped with difficulty, and most were obliged to fly and leave their homes and means of livelihood. Yet these and many other even severer trials which afterwards befell them, being only what they expected, they were able to bear by the assistance of God's grace and spirit. However, being thus molested, and seeing that there was no hope of their remaining there, they resolved by consent to go into the low countries, where they heard there was freedom of religion for all, and it was said that many from London and other parts of the country, who had been exiled and persecuted for the same cause, had gone to live at Amsterdam and elsewhere in the Netherlands. So after about a year, having kept their meeting for the worship of God every Sabbath in one place or another, notwithstanding the diligence and malice of their adversaries, seeing that they could no longer continue under such circumstances, they resolved to get over to Holland as soon as they could, which was in the years 1607 and 1608. But of this, more will be told in the next chapter. End of Book 1, Chapter 1